As the racing season winds down, the separation season begins. Now, when I say separation season, I don't mean the season to separate yourself from racing, although that's exactly what many of your competitors are doing. And that provides an opportunity for you to separate from the pack. Within This Is Bracket Racing Elite, we focus on growth year-round, but the gains, they're, they're small, they're incremental during race season for two reasons. Number one, because your attention as a racer is split, right? You've got upkeep, maintenance, travel, all the things involved with the racing season, in addition to a focus on your own growth. And because other racers are working hard at that time too. It's this time of year, this separation season, where putting in the work can really allow you a leg up on the competition. If you're serious about doing just that, and you'd like to surround yourself with a group of knowledgeable trainers and accountable peers with the tools, the resources, the wisdom to help you take that next step, and perhaps even with the occasional kick in the pants to keep you on track, this is Bracket Racing Elite is the answer. We've helped thousands of racers just like you take the next step toward becoming the best version of themselves on the racetrack. Elite can help you do the same. Enrollment is open as of Monday, November 27th, and it closes December 8th. Learn more at thisisbracketracing.com slash elite. Turn this blood, sweat, and tears poor with a little bit of green in it go. You can find me, smoke right behind me, two lanes and a finish line. That groove is just good for the soul. I was born into it. I was raised on it. Wouldn't have it any other way. Wild Willie Fuel has partnered with the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast to offer you, the racer, 20% off when you use the promo code LUKE. L-U-K-E, at checkout. Now, Wild Willie Fuel is the industry-leading manufacturer of professional fuel scent and top loop. They have over 60 unique fuel scents. Wild Willie has just the products you need to set yourself apart from the competition. Everybody wants that good smell. They got from the industry's number one selling scent, (laughs) Ex-Girlfriend, how cool is that, to the brand new fragrance, Fruit Loops. Love me some Fruit Loops. You are sure to find something that fits your personality. Over 60 unique scents. Surely you'll find something in there. Now, Wild Willie fuel fragrances can be used in race gas, methanol, ethanol, diesel, or pump gas. You can put it in all different kinds of fuels. Their scents are compatible with carburetors, fuel injectors, O2 sensors, and catalytic converters. So stop by and check them out at www.wildwillyfuel.com. And don't forget to use the promo code LUKE, L-U-K-E, to save 20% today. BTE builds products that you can depend on, whether it's a complete power glide transmission, a torque converter for your specific combination, or any related component or bolt-on item. The professionals at BTE and Memphis Performance have what you need to succeed. Shop online at bteracing.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast with Luke and Jed. I'm Big Jed, Jared Pennington. He's cool hand Luke Bogacki. If you're a regular listener, thank you for your patronage. If you're new, you'll probably catch on soon enough. Our goal is to shed some light on the events, news, and issues in sportsman drag racing and the stars within it. Welcome back, or welcome to the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast, where we sometimes discuss 
the strip teaser and the Saturday Night Hooker. Big Jed, um, it's been a rough day. It's been a rough week for the racing community. There's no place else to start. Uh, we lost one of our own this week. Uh, Big Nasty, Quarter Mile Kyle, uh, whatever nickname you want to apply. Um, lost his battle with cancer uh, early Tuesday morning, I believe it was. There will be a time, maybe it's now, but there will certainly be a time to celebrate Kyle's life, and we will we will embark upon that. We've got some plans for a, a podcast show in the future, but I think right now, as much as we were prepared for this inevitability, I, I prepared's not the right word. Like, by and large, we this was inevitable. But when it happens. It doesn't make it any easier. It's been a it's been a difficult day. It's been a difficult week, and I think I speak for the entire sportsman and maybe the entire racing community in uh, in just mourning a huge loss. So we thought there's no other place to open the show but with a few words on uh, on our friend Kyle Cycle. Yeah, Luke. Um, obviously, uh, as we're recording this, uh, Kyle has has been gone um, a little over 12 14 hours now and so it's very new it's it's very real and it's um, too fresh if you will Uh, but it's the right thing to do to to say a few words about our dear friend uh, Big Nasty and um, what can you say about him Luke I, I, I made a little short post today on Facebook and I've never been around anyone that lived life to the fullest the way Kyle did. And I've been with him in some times that were very challenging, very difficult through difficult decisions, getting, um, you know, getting, uh, I guess, negative feedback from the racers over why'd you do it this way or why'd you do it that way. And just the guy had such a positive outlook. I've never seen anyone that could take a racer and turn them 180 like he could in those difficult angry moments you know that it's it's very difficult to to get a racer to see your point of view or understand your point of view but Kyle just had that unique ability to to bring someone in to a to an intimate discussion and and help them see that you know this is the reason we did this and it's for your benefit it's not for mine and he and Peter always made decisions that were good for the racer as opposed to good for themselves. Uh, financially, they, they've taken some beatings for, for making decisions that, that they knew would benefit the racer. So all that being said, he's, he was such a unique, impactful person. Um, you, you couldn't help but love him. You couldn't help but respect him for what he's accomplished in our sport from being a world-class drag racer uh he absolutely was a was a beast on the racetrack he he gave that up somewhat for quite some time to uh do other things in life and and just live life and family stuff and business stuff so kyle uh, just left us way too soon and he he was he was an amazing individual that touched my life, your life, and thousands upon thousands of others. I've seen the outpouring on Facebook today that, you know, I didn't know him, but I wish I'd met him. He was that kind of guy. He was just the kind of guy that you, you wish you got to spend some time with. I don't have a single bad memory 
of my times with Kyle, if you spent time with Kyle, it was simply wonderful. As opposed to on Facebook today, it was, it was something you look back on, on the flight home, the ride home or whatever. And you're like, that guy is crazy. Unbelievable. It was but refreshing. Like every was meeting refreshing. with Kyle was refreshing. Yeah. And he didn't let you stop short no. of living life to the fullest for yourself. He would push you to, to do things that, that you'd never done before or uh, think ways you'd never thought before. So uh, I'm rambling here. I'm going too long, but I could talk for hours about Big Nasty and the impact he had on my life and uh, just had so much fun uh, with him. He, he trusted me to be the voice of what he and Peter created. And even when I, I felt like I wasn't worthy of the stage that those guys had created, Kyle just had that ability to make you feel like you were the most important person to the entire event. He, he, he made me believe at times if I didn't come be the announcer, they'd have to just quit doing races. And that's just the kind of guy he was, Luke. And uh, it's a tremendous loss for, for those of us that, that knew him, that loved him, and got to spend a lot of time with him. And it's a, it's a loss for racing and just the human race in general. Um, truly truly will be missed that's that to me jed you took the words out of my mouth like that is kyle's legacy is he had this uncanny extremely unique ability to make you me and seemingly everyone he came in contact with feel like they were the most important person in his life in that moment and that's so rare you know i mean you look over the 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 course of Kyle's life and it's it's obviously it's been a racing life and we're going to look at it through that lens um and the legacy that he leaves like he casts such a wide net you know I mean depending on how you knew Kyle uh I mean you could look at him as one of the greatest most accomplished drivers of all time I mean the guy won 22 NHRA division 7 championships I didn't stutter 22 right wow. 10 championships in uh you know like lucas oil series championships the the super classes i think all 10 came in either 890 990 or 1090 and 12 yes 12 like that's more than you can count on your fingers 12 division 7 et finals wins 12 i mean that's insane right uh 22 total division championships and uh, deep runs. I know he finished second to Jake Coughlin Jr. the year that Jeggy won Super Gas, like won big dollar bracket races. He won everything. And I don't think like people of, of uh, maybe my generation, or maybe it's it clouded a little bit because of, of knowing Kyle personally, like that's not the first thing that comes to mind when I think of his legacy within racing. Like you could look at him as the racer. You could look at him as the, as the, the teacher or crew chief so to speak however you want to take that like he had kevin mckenna did a, a great job and kevin will be on later uh in, in his recent column uh following kyle's passing articulating like just how much of a numbers genius kyle was in terms of dialing cars and predicting the conditions and it was more than that like it was like a uh independent coaching you know like because kyle would build you up too you know he wouldn't he wouldn't just convince you that you were going dead on right and um <laughs> But I mean, his his book of success in that regard. I mean, he Peter Biondo will tell you like Kyle was a as a key element, instrumental in in several of his championships. Justin Lamb the same way, Marco Pervolaris. I mean, the list goes on and on. And I can just tell you from experience, like 
the the one time in Vegas I'm driving Justin Lamb's Copo Stalker, right? And I haven't shifted a car manually in a decade, right? So I go through the two time trials and it bounces off the rev limiter in first gear both times before I remember like, hey, you got to stick it in a second, right? And just the way that Kyle operated, he comes walking up to me before first round. He's like, hey, I ran all the numbers and uh, I'm 973 with a two. And he just says it like, that's what you're going to go. And I'm like, Kyle, I ain't hit the first shift within a thousand RPM of what I'm supposed to hit it at. Like, <laughs> it don't matter. You're going, you got you to gotta pick a number and trust it, cool hand. 973.2, by God, right? I mean, and that was just the, you could see the confidence kind of ooze out of him and you couldn't help but kind of apply it. So you've got Kyle the racer. You've got Kyle the, the coach, if you will. I even talked about Kyle the promoter. Like, he and Peter Biondo have changed the game right? I mean, what Definitely. they, George Howard obviously took this to a level, right? And and then there was a point where Pete and Kyle came in and they really set the stage for the, the big dollar bracket racing that we see today. And I, I mean, obviously we're a little bit biased. I, I, I still feel like they've got the, 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 the best setup going, you know I mean? I, I think they've perfected that craft and everything that they have done in that regard i mean you could we've you could go back and and say that the spring fling events not only were just a huge shot in the arm for sportsman drag racing like they brought how many hundreds of door cars out of the woodwork out of the barn you mean that dragsters door cars separate that was that was a fling idea originally you know and so many things like that the advent of true start like kyle's got his fingerprints all over what uh, sportsman drag racing and specifically big dollar bracket racing look at look like today so you've got this incredible legacy as a racer you've got this incredible legacy as a coach you've got this incredible legacy uh, as a promoter so he's touched all aspects of the sport and in saying all of that jed i'll circle back to what you said like none of that's how i'm going to remember kyle i'm going to remember kyle for making me feel and don't get this misconstrued like i considered kyle a friend i felt like we were relatively close like we didn't it's not like we talked every week you know what i'm saying like he just had a way of that that moment when you were together making it feel like you were the only person that mattered i'll I'll take these two specific instances and and he just it, it's so rare to to find someone like this but i'll take arguably like the two biggest days of my life okay the day that i got married you got you so much stuff going on on your wedding day right I vividly remember a text from Kyle Seipel, basically, and I can tell you verbatim, it was, hey man, this is probably the only day in your life where everyone that matters to you and everyone that matters to your wife is going to be together in one place to support you. Like, embrace it, enjoy it. You know, and that's just one of those things that that you just never forget getting that message, right? The day that my, my first son, Gary, was born, Kyle's birthday, April 20th my son's birthday, April 21st. And we were in the hospital for two days, right? My wife giving birth to Gary. And Kyle's just nonstop every couple of hours, like he's gonna be born on the 20th. We're gonna share a birth, a couple 420 babies, right? And I, I, it was those two moments in, in my life like could stand out for so many reasons. And when I think of Kyle, those are the first two things that came to mind because he, he on that day, whatever he had going on in the world, he was thinking about me and touching base with me. and. And I see this outpouring of support, and I wasn't unique in that regard. Like, he seemed to do that for almost everyone that he knew, you know what I mean? And made each of us feel like 
nothing else mattered in the world. And I don't know, there's not many people you can say that about. So well said, Luke. Uh, couldn't, have, couldn't have said any better and couldn't have summed him up any better. Just a, a tremendous guy. Um, and, and he touched people that never even got close to meeting him. And that's just how impactful he was. So just a, a huge loss in, in, in my heart and in many hearts. And, you know, definitely thoughts and prayers go out to his wife, Dana, his daughter, Sydney, his son, Hudson, um, you know, got a teenage daughter, um, a, a young son that's going to have to to move on without him. And, you know, nobody spent more time with him than they did. So I can only imagine what uh, is being felt in that family tonight. His mom, Georgia, which is a legend in the sport. His father, Ted, a legend in the sport. Uh, should never see your child laid to rest uh, before you are. So I know there's a lot of hurt in the Seipel family tonight. And, and there will be a lot of hurt in the days, weeks, months, and years to come. And just feel for them, love them, and uh, certainly we'll be praying for them. Absolutely. Well, I miss you, big guy. Yeah. Rest in peace, Nasty. All right, so we will welcome back to the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast one of our most frequent guests. He is a senior editor for National Dragster. He is a, a czar of all things drag racing in general and sportsman drag racing in, uh, specifically. Uh, Kevin McKenna, it is good to see you. It's good to have you back on the show. How are you? I'm doing well. It, it's been a while, so uh, it, it's nice to catch up again and uh, see, uh, see that uh, from where we were a year ago, uh, Things seem pretty darn close to normal. No kidding. It's pretty. We did a we did a lot together, but uh, a little over a year ago <laughs> at this point, right? Uh, just kind of trying to fill content. It is amazing when you look back, just the change in atmosphere and attitude, and it is it, it's a it's a breath of fresh air to to feel normal again, huh? It, it is, and, and although the the podcast we did together last year m might have been uh, the one positive thing that that came out of the entire year. Um, so you know, you, you look for your silver linings where you find them. Yeah, no, that was that was a ton of fun. Um, so the reason to to have you on today specifically is to kind of dissect the NHRA Sportsman season um, as we near a midpoint. We'll get more into that later. We're not we're not really getting we're close to halfway, but uh, but there's been a lot of action. We've got a lot to talk about on the Sportsman end of things, and we'll get to that. Right? That's that's ultimately the reason sure. for the show. Jed and I opened, um, listeners j just heard, uh, with some words on, on Kyle Seipel. And you wrote an incredible piece on NHRA.com, on your typical uh, sports report, about Kyle, his career, his legacy, if you will. And I know on your end, like, you don't enjoy writing something like that. You're certainly not looking for credit from uh, a piece like that, but it was incredibly well done and i just wanted to say like kudos to you we know you as a as a wordsmith to be certain and typically your writing is to inform at times to entertain i think it's rare that you get to use your gift as a writer to help heal and i feel like in large part 
that's what that column did for the sportsman racing community as a whole. It begins to help that process, and I would imagine uh, on some level uh, it's it's therapeutic to you as well. Yeah, I mean, thank you for the kind words. Uh, obviously, it's not something you ever enjoy doing, but uh, as we discussed prior to this a little, it, you you feel an obligation when, when you lose someone, uh, especially someone of Kyle's stature who was universally liked and respected. You, you just, I, I feel there's an obligation there um, to, to, to remember, to reflect, to, um, to, to really just, you know, I mean, the, the sad thing is that these are probably things that you, you wish you would have said while they were here. You know, I, I mean, may, maybe that's the lesson that should come from this. Um, but, but, but again, to your point, it, it was nice of you to say that if, um, if it does indeed help people heal or feel a little better or, you know, br bring a smile on an otherwise tough day, then, uh, um, th then yeah, I, uh, that, uh, that actually makes me feel good about it. I did without, and again, listeners, like if you haven't had an opportunity to read Kevin's piece, check it out. It's, uh, it's, it's very, very, very well done. Uh, without necessarily asking you to to regurgitate the the column, what what stands out to you when you look back on on Kyle and his and his legacy? The, the amazing thing is that Kyle, at his core, was a sportsman racer, but everybody knew him and he knew everybody. Uh, in fact, I'll give you an example. Not ten seconds ago, I just got a text from, from Larry Dixon, three-time top field champ, that said, "Hey, I really enjoyed your piece on Kyle." And, you know, you would think to yourself, well, how often, I mean, obviously they were both California guys for a while, but how often did you cross paths? Well, obviously often enough for it to make an impact. And I've heard over the last 24 hours from other people, other pros, people that you thought, oh, I didn't realize you had any kind of relationship with Kyle, but you did. And then it kind of dawns on you that, well, everybody did because he was the sort of infectious personality that you really only needed to meet him once and, and, you likely felt that that he was your best friend and, and vice versa. Um, so, so that's that's kind of what I take from uh, my relationship with Kyle and, and I think almost everybody else's. Yeah, no, he cast he cast a wide net without question. I this is uh, ironic in that I feel like at least 50% of Kyle and I's conversations were always like he liked to nerd out like I do on points and numbers and things like that like it seemed like as we neared the end of the season he and I would always get a text thread going about the the, the championship chases mm -hmm. and things like that like you really get into it spirited conversations and uh, similar to, to those that you and I have had right Absolutely. so we can transition from there like ultimately that's the uh, the point of today's discussion now as I kind of alluded to earlier I had this marked on the calendar I'm like ah yeah you know mid-June we'll get together like that's the midway point of the season as I actually broke this down I thought you know I don't know that we're we're really halfway and we're nowhere near halfway I mean obviously it, it depends geographically division two division four well over halfway nearing the end of their Lucas Oil series schedules on the flip side many divisions one race in division three hasn't gotten a single event in yet um, 
so the schedule, I guess, partially due to uncertainty around the pandemic, partially due to weather, a lot of factors have gone into this, but it's very, very backloaded this season. Case in point, my rough math, we've gotten 13 of 42 scheduled Lucas Oil Series events in, five of 21 national events. So certainly a long, long way to go, which makes what we would normally do here in terms of, you know, picking a favorite, uh, labeling a dark horse, things like that in each of the races, uh, a bit of an interesting uh, um, dilemma, you know, almost an, an impossibility. But with that said, uh, there's been a fair amount of racing to discuss. Uh, a number of racers have gotten hot already. Sp specifically from a maybe a journalistic standpoint, before we get into class by class, what story specifically to you has kind of stood out or stories have stood out thus far in the 2021 season as it pertains to the Lucas Oil categories? Uh, th th there's a couple things. Uh, first and foremost, I, I think uh, Greg Stanfield has turned back the clock to to 1990. Um, you know, th this was a guy who, who I'd kind of gotten the impression that that he was maybe not overdriving, but 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 it was um, you know certainly secondary to to helping his son Aaron succeed and to running you know their engine program. And here he jumps in the super stock car, has won I think two three races already leading the points um, and, and has a sizable lead. So uh, that's certainly worth watching. And then you also always look at, um, I think last year's champions to see, uh, you know, how and, and, and how well you do in defense of a championship, because the old adage has always been defending a championship is harder than winning one. Um, and well, I think I speak from a tiny amount of experience to say that that seems to be true, at least at this point. Um, but you look, Darian Bosch is doing well. And, uh, you know, there's a couple others that have, uh, you know, sort of uh, come out swinging and, and not, not that you ever thought these championships were a fluke, but, um, you know, Ray Miller, he's not a defending champ, but a former champ doing well. You're having quite a year, which I'm, I'm sure we'll discuss. So, so I think that's uh, sort of interesting. Yeah, Anthony as well, certainly yeah, in the top director backing up that title. Uh, it's interesting you bring up Stanfield. That was at the top of my list as well. Jed and I, uh, maybe last episode or a couple episodes ago, uh, following Greg's win at Tulsa, had an interesting conversation because you'd think there was a, there was a time, certainly, uh, mid-1990s, where when you thought of Superstock, like Greg Stanfield is the, the image that comes to mind. I mean, he won four championships in five years, right? Yeah. Um, and it's interesting now, like, if you ask that question, who is, because in certain categories, like you say, like, if you mention the word competition eliminator, I think to most of us, David Rampey is the first name that comes to mind. Super comp, Gary Stinnett, right? Superstock, like, you could pick half a dozen racers, you know, whether it's sure. Peter Biondo, Jimmy DeFrank, I think a lot of us would think of Fletcher, you know, mm -hmm. and, um, yeah. and Stanfield mirrors them in terms of championships, right? And if particularly if he's able to pull this off near, you know, over 30 years removed from his first, you know, yes. 25 plus removed from his last, mm -hmm. that's just an incredible, incredible accomplishment. Yeah. And, and you look at him being able to juggle and, and all the balls in the air of, you know, again, you, you've got a, a hugely successful engine program that, that's going well. You know, you, you're, you're trying to, you know, I, I don't imagine he has a lot of day-to-day -day interaction with the pro stock program. That's sort of an elite thing, but certainly you've taken an active interest in seeing your son succeed. So, so it makes you wonder uh, on the priority list, where exactly is he with, with driving that super stock car? Uh, 
although it's probably a catch 22 now that now that he's done so well, you need to see it through to the end. So he may well be driving at races that he normally wouldn't uh, towards the end of this year. No, I, I feel like Jed and I oversimplified it, but it's almost as if, you know, you, you have this incredible career in the sportsman ranks transition into pro stock truck into pro stock you say Aaron comes up Aaron's racing and it's almost like ah you know like that super stock thing was fun I'll, I'll, I'll just try that again right and just immediately seemingly jump right back into dominating like picks up right where he left off yeah and, and this you know the class certainly hasn't gotten any easier over the last 30 years you, you could argue that 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 it is light years different and much much harder um and also you know you're racing out of division four and, and there aren't many lightweights down there. No. Uh, you know, you, you, from week to week, race to race, you've got some, some top-notch competition there. Um, you know, you're, you're not beating up on 17 car fields. Uh, so, so yeah, it's, uh, you know, extremely impressive to see what's, what's happened so far this year. Let's start there with Superstock because I think at this point, and again, it's very, very early, but it's hard to argue that uh, Greg Stanfield is, if not the favorite, among the favorites. Who else jumps out to you at this early point in the season as putting together a, a, an early score that could certainly contend for a title? Well, when when you have Anthony Bertazzi uh, <laughs> on, on your heels, that's that, probably a very uncomfortable feeling. Um, you know, and, and Anthony, for all the success he's had in Top Dragster, he, he will tell you he still considers the, the Superstock deal his bread and butter class. Uh, so, so that, uh, you know, is probably the most obvious. Um, but you have a couple of the people. The last couple of years, Marion Stevenson has done very well for himself. Uh, I know he travels a lot, goes to a lot of events, but, um, you know, he, he's turning on quite a few win lights and, you know, currently in, in the top 10. Um, you know, it's, again, it's early. There, there's, you know, Division Three. I, I think, you know, I say this jokingly, but you have time right now. You could probably build a car, test it, and still run enough events to uh, to contend for a championship if, if you're quick about it. Um, so, so there's, you know, a, a lot left unseen, but uh, but that's kind of what we see here early on in the first half anyway. Yeah, no doubt we can look down through the top 10 or the top 20 and, and pick out some, some names and some scores that look good. But to your point, in Superstock specifically, I, I don't believe that a, a name like Ricky Decker has staged for a single round of competition this season. Right. You know, even out West, Justin Lamb, Jimmy DeFrank, Kyle Rizzoli, you know, might mm -hmm. have a race or two under their belts. So there's a whole lot left to be determined. Yeah. Um, I feel like Competition Eliminator has been more interesting than ever, or perhaps early in the season, due in large part to the, the uh, incredible bonus in Division 4 through Roger Brogdon and, and Rooftech, and all of those racers converging on that division, or not all of those racers, but racers that wouldn't typically be running Division 4, claiming Division 4 to try to get their share of that money. Um, Greg Camplain is the early leader on paper. He's put mm -hmm. together a really strong early season score, both yes. on the divisional and national side. What stands out to you in competition eliminator to this point? Well, as you just mentioned, the uh, the Division Four bonus program, uh, were there not 37 cars, I believe, at the Dallas Divisional? I told someone there, like, I, there was a time where I wasn't sure there was 37 competitive comp cars in the country, much less to get them all at one place at one time, yeah. right? Yeah. And, uh, you know, th that, yeah, th that screams like English town 1990s to see that sort of a car count, um, which, you know, and again, prop, props to Roger for, uh, for doing that. You know, it's, that, that is absolutely the definition of putting your money where your mouth is. And uh, God, it would be great if 
we, we had some other wealthy businessmen in other parts of the country do the same thing. Um, but again, uh, you wonder if that's a bit at cross purposes with trying to win a championship. If I'm strictly racing for points and trying to win a championship, I'm going to stay as far away from division four as possible. Um, so that may well play into other people's strategies. Um, you know, if you're reviewing things now, you've had some guys in division two uh, that have had some success, David Eaton, uh, Richard Prezer. Uh, you know, again, it's early, but you know, anytime you chalk up a win, it counts. No, and to your point, I mean that Division Four thing is a, is a bloodbath, and we've got racers like Greg Campain, who's you know typically a Division Three runner. Uh, Cody Lane is claiming Division Four, you know, right, from right. from Washington State, right? <clears throat> mm -hmm. And so a lot of the really fast, really competitive cars have converged on that division. And to your point, while they're all justified in chasing that money. Like there's going to, you would imagine that there's going to be some cannibalization involved there. Like it's, it, if you want to win a championship, Division 4 may not be the place to be. So from that end, like you just think of who would be the usual suspects. Well, I haven't seen Frank Aragona in the Division 4 races. Haven't no. seen Bruno at any of the Division 4 races. Right, you know, right. some guys like that that you would expect to, to show out as the, as the calendar and the schedule comes to them, right? Right. It will, and, and the potentially damaging effect you have with, I think Craig Bourgeois has run five divisionals already uh he, he's back in i don't know 10th 11th 12th place uh you know maybe just had some rough luck because that, that car is generally good enough to win against anyone but you can't even at this early stage of the season you can't fall uh, too far behind and expect to be there at the end uh, so that's kind of the point where there's a little bit of an imbalance there but you know comp has always been kind of the uh, the king of chess games when it comes to strategy and trying to win a championship and this just adds a, a new wrinkle to that no and that's i don't know craig's specific situation but like you i i always assume that he's got one of if not the best cars in the class but that is the dilemma of comp like you perhaps you could win but at what cost you know and yes. trying to weigh that and pick your spots is one of the more intriguing things about the category mm -hmm. Um, how about top dragster? It certainly looks, we alluded to it earlier, um, Anthony Bertozzi came in as the reigning champion and couldn't have gotten off to a better start. <laughs> He's one of uh, a handful of racers that you mentioned that comes in defending a title and uh, is looking strong. He's actually not the leader on paper currently, but he's a one race behind Ross Larice, who is uh, your current leader. Those two are obviously showing out. Um, who else? Well, Ross Larissa's son Holden is is right up there in, in, in the top three, and uh, you know even Darian Bosch, you know here's a guy who doesn't take a whole lot of imagination to see him at the end of the year competing for two championships. Um, you know uh, the, the other guy who really impresses me, uh, you know Brad Plord just started racing sort of you know in in top dragster. Uh, it's maybe not the quickest car in the class, but but he's certainly done a lot with it. Uh, had some early success, so it'll be interesting to see how uh, far he's willing to see that through. Yeah, no, I was just looking at uh, at Anthony's box score. Through six events, he's been in three finals with two wins. It's a pretty yeah. solid start. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, and it's interesting. I guess we can talk more on Darian as we go to, to Top Sportsman, where he's the defending champ. Like, I'm just constantly impressed now. Uh, we've raced Division Four this year, so I've been around them quite a bit. Like they have three, by God, top dragster, top sportsman, you know, blowers sticking out the top. Mm -hmm. Like these look like they would be 
not the most maintenance friendly cars in the world and yeah. they are basically I mean a two man show for the most part running three of these cars and it just looks like laid back like I know there's a lot more going on behind the scenes than it looks like but they seem to have a well refined well oiled program there you know it's funny top, top sportsman and top dragster have been part of the NHRA landscape now for more than a decade but I am no less amazed now as I was when they first showed up at what you can do with a six second car. Um, it, it's, you know, Darian's car runs six thirties that it wasn't too long ago that that was a pretty competitive pro mod and to be able to get in that thing and string together five rounds on a Sunday and judge the finish line and cut a light and do, as you said, the, the, the between rounds maintenance, you know, basically drive the thing well you don't drive it to and from the lanes but you, you you put a little more mileage on it than normal that i am astounded by that it it, it is uh you know maybe one of the most incredible things i've ever seen what the you know pretty much every driver in those two classes is able to do because the packages are insane no it's it's one thing to uh to hit the tree and drive the finish line it's another to do it at six thirties. 220 plus mile an hour after you slam the door, you know, before you roll it to pre-stage, like there's yeah, a lot yeah, going right. on in there, right? Yeah. yeah uh, right. Uh, Darian leads uh, on paper. He's got a really strong score going early. Um, a number of drivers putting together a, a, a strong early season score there. I think the one that stands out to me at this point, just based upon races attended and success so far is uh, division two racer, Doug Burr. Doug mm. has been to, six events and if i'm not mistaken i'm pulling up his score now divisionally like he is showing out he's yeah he's got two wins and a runner-up at uh, at four divisional events uh, has been bounced early at the two nationals that he's been to but you know as well as anyone kevin like while it all counts typically there is more emphasis on putting forth a, a strong division score simply because percentage-wise you get to throw out less of the events sure Sure. Uh, th th that is absolutely true. And, and I think the, the mentality of a lot of these guys at the beginning of the year was, we don't know what if what lingering effects COVID is going to have, how many events might get canceled, it, you know, mapping out your schedule um, before the season started was, was probably an exercise in utility. So, so I think you need to have a little bit of flexibility there. And, and I think that's why some of these guys have kind of tried to come out and hit their races early. Um, and again, when you do that and you have some success, then I think it's sort of incumbent upon you to see it through to the end and, and maybe later in the year travel to some places you normally wouldn't have gone. Uh, Let's switch over to the, the 890 chase here. Uh, you mentioned Ray Miller III earlier. He is uh, on top with a monster score through seven events, which is part of it, right? Not mm -hmm. too many racers have been to seven events at this point, but he's obviously uh, done extremely well for himself. I don't know like i don't know that this will necessarily shake out this way but i'm here for it i don't i could i want i want a budding rivalry between well the last two national champions between ray miller the third and christopher dodd because mm -hmm. they're two younger guys that are immensely talented that approach it a in a little bit different ways mm -hmm. and i could be mistaken here like i wasn't really close to the situation last season but my impression is that there's not a lot of love lost there like there's mm -hmm. there is a budding rivalry among two guys that are really quiet and mm -hmm. soft-spoken and and genuinely like nice to everyone like i don't know exactly what that stems from but i'm here for it like i, yeah. I <laughs> well if, if 
if, if there's not, then let, let's go on ahead and create one. We'll speak it into existence, right? <laughs> Absolutely. Um, you know, the, the, there should be. The, the sport was built on rivalries. And uh, it, as long as you can keep it somewhat civil, I, I think it's a fantastic thing. And uh, yeah, when, when one guy has something, a championship that the other guy wants, that then naturally your, um, you know, uh, your, your level of camaraderie and friendship extends only so far. Um, so, so, so I could absolutely see that. And, you know, Ray has had uh, an amazing start to the season. Um, but as you said, he, he's claimed most of his races, you know, 445 points is a pretty solid score. You're not too far away most years from locking a spot in the top 10 with that kind of a number. You know, if you, if you can get to 550, you're 575, you're probably safe. Um, but again, not to belabor the point, you've got guys division one, three, six, seven, that, that, are, that are just getting cranked up. Now, and I, I obviously kind of circling back to, to Ray Ray and Christopher, like two uber competitive, two uber talented racers. Mm-hmm. And I think what stands out to me, and this isn't to say that they're going to finish the season one, two, obviously Supercomp is a, an extremely competitive class with a ridiculous amount of parity. But when you just look through, forget the results, when you just look through the box scores from events, mm-hmm. those two stand out. Like you yeah. don't see a lot of people string together five, six, seven consecutive double O reaction times in, in Supercomp right, right. or Supergas. And both of those guys do it with seeming regularity. Yes. Yeah. Um, just looking at, at Ray Ray's points to like he came out on a complete ball of fire, right? It was runner up semi win at the first three events. Since then, he's been to four and uh, has only been out of third round once. So there is still obviously some meat on the bone. Um, Christopher, similar, I believe he won the first race in his title defense and has just consistently gone round since. Uh, and then, too, like another name that we talked about earlier in Top Drags, Ross Larice, is having an incredible season in both categories. Sure. And, and, you know, again, the Division Four guys, uh, I know in Christopher's case, has not raced a national event yet. You know, was probably scheduled to run Houston. That has been postponed. Uh, so, so there's, um, you know, maybe going to be a hectic schedule coming up. If, if you're, you know, you're into now almost July and haven't attended a national event, um, you know, you're, you're looking at, uh, if you live in Division Four, you're looking at obviously Dallas, probably the Houston rerun. After that, you're going to do a little bit of traveling, maybe Topeka, possibly Brainerd. I imagine he would go to Indy. Uh, where else? Co- Columbus Sports Nationals, maybe. Yeah, head, Vegas. Head, right. head what? Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of planning that needs to go into this. Um, no, that's an interesting, like, because the the national event schedule hasn't been cut down that tremendously on the surface, but right. depending on the pocket or the region of the country that you're in, mm-hmm. uh, it becomes, it can become a little bit of a challenge to get to the, the your six and eight, you know what I mean, sure. just from a national event. I know just for us, like, there is more travel involved this year than in years past by from not having Joliet, you know? Yeah, and, and would you, you know... Depending on where you live, if you were a Division Four guy and you were faced with that, would you have maybe thought to yourself, "Well, I should have gone to Gainesville. I should have gone to Atlanta, or, or Charlotte." Um, you know, th- th- those are all decisions that uh, need to be made. And I think there's probably a lot of other factors. You know, a, a lot of times if you can hit a-, a second event on the back end, you know, that that's obviously a, a budget saving move that that most racers will look for. Um, I-, I think that has been a, a very positive thing to see. You know, national events piggybacked with divisionals. Um, to, to to me, that that does nothing but benefit the sportsman racer. 
no question that's been a that's been a welcome addition the past couple of years and especially uh, given the current climate I was just thumbing down through the the super comp standings and again it's far too early in the year to like label a a dark horse but if you're just looking at racers that haven't been to a ton of events we'll keep it in division four uh another former world champion Lyndon rutland has been to three division races he's won two of them mm. you can't do a whole lot better than that i, yeah. I don't know logistically because they're down in, in near Houston, like making enough divisionals, much less enough national events, may be a challenge. But right. there's a guy that's obviously capable and putting together an incredible early season score. Yeah, for sure. And 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 if you're looking for another dark horse, I've I've noticed, you know, you you see Jonathan Anderson's name show up in the box score quite a bit. You know what what he's done in Super Street uh, in Division Two a few years, it, it was pretty impressive. And uh, now it seems like he's got sort of the same momentum going in Super Comp. Without question, we were uh, at the Atlanta National Event this season. We got down to four cars in Supergas, and it was myself, Jeremy Mason, Jim Perry, all of whom have a, a, a national championship on our mantle. And the fourth was Jonathan Anderson. And Jeremy Mason and I were actually were parked next to each other and talking about this you know, Sunday morning. He's like, pretty stout field. I'm like, well, you got three former world champions and, and the fourth guy that if he doesn't win one in the next five years, like I'd be shocked, you yeah, know, I yeah. mean, he just is constantly knocking at the door in two categories mm -hmm. and an absolute threat. Uh, with that in mind, I guess we'll transition to Supergas next. This will get a little bit sticky because <laughs> on paper, uh, I'm actually leading. So I'll, I'll let you talk a little bit and then uh, I'll, I'll, I'll throw out some, some obvious contenders. Mm -hmm. Well, I don't, I don't know why that would be sticky. Uh, you 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 obviously won't talk uncomfortable. Up, so. How about that? So 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 you could you can see see now I know why I'm on the show this week. You want me to you you want me to tote the luggage for you, which <laughs> which I'm happy to do. Um, you know, let, let's let's get down to the facts. You, you you're a two-time world champion. You've been there before. You know what it takes logistically, effort-wise, um, and you're you're off to a good start. So I don't see any reason to think that uh, you won't be there till the bitter end. That being said. We, we've pounded this time and time again. There's a lot left to be done. Um, yeah, absolutely. I mean, on my end, the the goal I, for myself, and I think most people might not necessarily put it in these terms, but it's very easy to break it down numerically and say, okay, what's the 700 is never lost, right? I think Jody Lang finished second with 699 one year, correct? correct. In my mind, 650 wins the championship nine times out of 10. So mm -hmm. that's the goal. Like if you want to be a championship contender, you put up 650. At this point, I'm on track to put up 650, but mm -hmm. there is a lot of work left to do. So uh, I'm trying not to pay too much attention to what anyone else is doing, focus on getting to that mark myself. With that said, um, just to this point, uh, the usual suspects are certainly in contention and putting together banner years of their own, uh, specifically the aforementioned Jonathan Anderson, Jim Perry, um, John LaBoose Jr. And again, that's just among the racers that have been to five plus events to this point. Yeah. And you wonder what sort of a price you could get if you were uh, making odds on this of a former champion winning, especially in super gas winning this year, because you've got uh, three of them right now, four of them right now in the top 10. Well, I guess Austin is 11th, but you know, you, you, you've got that and probably two or three others, you know, the, the Sherman Adcocks of the world and um, the Iggy Boychescos who was just in a national event final. Um, the, the odds of, of one of you finishing the job are probably pretty strong right now. 
Which is interesting historically because, correct me if I'm wrong, like Supergas is the one category that is almost void of repeat champions. I think it's Sheldon Gecker and Sherman Adcock are the only two that have ever won yeah, that yeah, 990 yeah. championship twice. Yeah, it, it's not like Top Alcohol Dragster where you seem to get somebody <laughs> right. who, who gets on a roll and wins three, four, five uh, at, at, a, at a time. Uh, no, and, and it, it makes perfect sense why Supergas would be like that because you still, to this day, have a lot of cars there, a lot of talented drivers, and really the, the, the planets need to align correctly. Um, you know, I don't care how good you are, right? It, even if you took the best 20 drivers in the class, the difference in talent level is, is probably marginal between, between them. Um, you know, and again, as you hear often and often, you know, it, it's a game decided by thousands and they just need to happen to fall your way on a particular day. No question. All right, I think all we've got left then is stock eliminator. Um, Wes Neely has put on a show specifically <laughs> on the divisional side. I think he's got 400, or I'm sorry, yeah, 400 plus in his home division, division score, division four score, which is incredible. To this point, he's been to two national events with fairly early exits. I think it's a first round or a second rounder, but the table is set for him. If he could put together, uh, maybe not even necessarily a monster score at this, the, the four remaining national events, but go deep, maybe win one of them would be in really good shape. Uh, he's got 486 right now. Is that right? 46. Uh, but but it's interesting that he has uh, he has been to seven divisionals. Right. Uh, which which means you know you've got one more and then you're locked out. And, and I'm actually kind of curious when I see that your thoughts, having been there, on would you rather post the score early and sit back and and, and sort of I guess play a little defense, or would you want to be active and earning points? right up until the bitter end or, or or is there an advantage or a disadvantage either way probably not i mean eight races is eight races like just from a psychological standpoint i tend to say like i'd rather feel i feel like it's more in my hands if the if the late if the late races count for me um but with that said if i started the season on a heater like west neely started the season on a heater like i would just keep going until it ran out you know so i certainly don't fault him there right and to, to your point, I mean, he has he does have seven uh, division races on the books. You claim your best five, but right now his worst is a fourth-round loss. I mean, you can't do a whole lot better. Right. And what's crazy, too, I was just kind of thumbing through this preparing for the show. Um, what did I say? He's got 416 uh, in, in division, division points for Division Four, which is an astronomical number. Like, it's not a given that he's going to win the Division Four title. Right, right. I look at, at Jerry Emmons like he's got uh, he's only been to five races he's got a win a runner-up and a quarterfinal with a first and second rounder to throw away like if he turns those into final rounds he's there or, or uh, surpassed Wes Neely yeah and, and that might be a good research project uh, for one day I know we, we've already done the math to see that you know 700 points has never lost a national championship has 400 uh, ever lost a divisional and and off the top of my head i can't think of, of, of a time when if it's it has, happened it's got to be rare right yeah. as you said that, that that is a monster score when what the, the best possible score is what 525 yeah i mean you surpass 400 you're basically <laughs> averaging a, a sixth round which in most cases is a runner-up you know yeah right yeah, with car counts these days um so, so no that that uh that would be very interesting to see uh, uh where that shakes out you mentioned Marion Stevenson earlier when we talked about Superstock. Uh, again, you know he's, he's been to more races than most at this early point in the season, but he sits top three in both categories nationally. Yeah. 
Steve Foley's having a big year. I mean, you could go through the stock eliminator list. Again, it's it's too early necessarily to pick favorites, but there are a lot of not only racers having uh, strong early seasons, but big names having a, a strong run here early in the season. Yeah, and again, I'm, I'm looking here at people like like Jerry Emmons has not been to a national event yet. Yep. Uh, that's, uh, you know, Cooter Hidalgo, one national event. Um, there, there, there's, won, by the way. Right. There, there's, <laughs> just, there's just so much left uh, uh, to, to be done. And, um, you know, again, let, let's, let's bring in the, the, the northern guys and girls and, and uh, see, see where things, you know, let, let's have this conversation again mid to late August, maybe around indie time and see and, and this picture might look completely different let's forecast ahead a little bit what given we talked about the stories leading up to this point we talked about the high performers uh early in the season hard to forecast i know but what are you most looking forward to as uh 2021 concludes from a sports and racing standpoint mm. so you had to throw in the caveat of from a sports what i'm looking forward <laughs> most is is going to full drag strips again yes well that's it, a very seeing, good point yeah. lo- lots of happy fans which we're getting there i i, I don't think um uh, the remainder of the national events we have, I don't believe any of them have capacity restrictions now. Um, so, so to, to that end, we, we are about as close to normal as, as you could be. Um, from a sportsman racing standpoint, I, I you know, we're, we're starting to get into July. It's not too early to think about Indy. Mm-hmm. You know, in, Indy to me is, it will always be uh, the, the most special event we have. Um, but, but, but actually short term, look, look at the entry list this weekend for Norwalk. Uh, it, it is very impressive from top to bottom, from pros to sportsmen to factory stock. And, and um, that is going to be a difficult event to win for anyone in any class. And uh, it's kind of amazing. And that sort of transitions into you've got the big sports nationals doubleheader coming up in less than a month. Um, that is also sort of a make or break thing. You have a big weekend in Columbus. It can go a long way. Uh, t- towards uh, improving your score and, and and what we will see especially here the division three guys they're going to play catch up really quick yes and, and and if you you know if you believe in in, in hot streaks and things those guys are going to run i don't know four or five divisionals over about a six to eight week period so plus i mean if that columbus double that you just talked about is uh is followed immediately by the Topeka double, which a lot of the division three racers typically attend. I mean, a lot of racers from everywhere typically attend Topeka, like a lot's going to change there in two weeks time, much less a month's time as, as more racers generate races or generate uh, events to tally toward their scores, I should say. And to your point, as uh, someone that p- could potentially come into the late season in the lead or in contention, that division seven schedule is scary to me for the exact same reason that you mentioned like it is very very heavily backloaded Mm -hmm. and i I think the fear if you're sitting atop is watching someone get hot and just go week to week to week stringing things together now obviously that can work the other way if you drop a valve on week three like you're you're out of out of contention for the most part but uh that'll be an interesting dynamic as we finish 2021 as well no and and the topeka divisional uh specifically the super comp has has been an eight round race it's been you know, it, it's amazing to me that we've seen a couple of sweeps where, where you can show up on, on Thursday and by Sunday you've added 230 points to your score. Yeah, that was um, the catalyst to Nick Foltz championship uh, without question. Yeah, uh, ab- absolutely. And um, I don't know that it's too uh, unreasonable to think 
you may see a similar situation in Columbus. I think you're going to get the, the division three guys are all sitting there. They've been waiting all, all year to race. And I think you're going to have a fair amount of division one guys come over because, you know, they've lost the Richmond national event. Their season has been a little slow. Maple Grove race got rained out. If I'm a division one guy, I've probably got money in my pocket because I haven't raced and I'm sitting there looking at the schedule thinking, I need to get some races in, you know, what if we run into weather later in the year, if something strange happens and these races get canceled, you know, Columbus is not really a far toe for most of them. Uh, so I would predict, you know, if the weather's nice, I think you're going to see a, a home run car count there in Columbus. Yeah, no, and the potential for that hot run of a weekend extends beyond those. You mentioned uh, events kind of piggybacking divisionals to nationals, things like that. Brainerd has that similar potential. Now with uh, uh, the sportsman portion of the Houston national event preceding the Dallas national event, there's that potential. Uh, right. Vegas is almost certain to have back-to-back-to-backs uh, to mm-hmm. finish the season again. I'd have to look at the schedule closely. But yeah, there is definitely potential for major swings in the points chase right up until the very end of the season. Sure. So I think if I was to pick one, I think I'm most interested in really just regurgitating a couple of our stories from earlier, following Greg Stanfield as he as he pursues, you know, what would potentially be a fifth championship so many years removed from his decade of dominance, dominance or certainly half decade of dominance in Superstock. Mm-hmm. And uh, again, it's difficult to predict probably more so in Supercomp than any other class. But if it comes down to Christopher Dodd and, and Ray Ray again, like I'm, I'm here for that. Like it's in my mind, the, the two drivers and, and really programs in general, it's not even fair to say in, in Supercomp is it's not just a driver thing. Like there's a lot to, uh, to getting to 890. You know, I guess you'd throw Gary Stinnett and, and, and others into that mix as well. But those are the two guys that really stand out to me. And if they were to kind of come down to it, duking it out, like I want a front row seat to that. Is it too much to ask for them to run in a national event final sometime this year? Oh, yeah, that'd be good. <laughs> I like it. Wherever it happens to be. Right? <laughs> Let's get them both to, I think they'd both come to Gateway, right? Let's get them both to St. Louis, yeah. the racetrack formerly known as Gateway. That, and, that works. Uh, get that going. WWT technology yes. worldwide technology raceway i'll yes. get it right kevin thank you as always for uh, for coming on and helping us break things down it's good to see you and i uh, hope that you are well appreciate you uh, spending some time with us here i'm very happy to do it and look forward to the next one I want to thank everybody for tuning in to make sure that you're the first to know when next week's episode is available. Subscribe. And, and, and you can do that on Google Play. You can do that on iTunes. You can do that wherever you are accessing uh, our show today. Just subscribe. That way that you know that you have got the latest uh, edition of the podcast. You'll be the first to know. And do us a favor. Tell your friends about the podcast. Get your track involved by broadcasting portions of the Sportsman Drag Racing podcast over the PA on race day hi guys want to talk to you about our great friends at manscaped now they've just come out with the lawnmower 4.0 trimmer it's available now in the usa and canada and what makes this waterproof trimmer different from all the other trimmers you ask it's a 7,000 rpm trimmer i guess 7,000 rpms we love rpms and this is turning 7,000 of them that's a well-tuned small block chevrolet Luke, Luke, I would love to match the loud pedal on this lawnmower 4.0, and I might do it after a while, as a matter of fact. And it features skin-safe technology, guys. This keeps your package in check, and it's helped reduce manscaping accidents around the world. Less trips to the emergency room if you get the 7,000 RPM lawnmower 4.0. 
I love investing in the best new technology and advancement, and I'm blown away by the performance. But the craftsmanship and the details on the 4.0 are simply next level. Now, Manscaped is the only men's brand dedicated to below-the-waist grooming, and their brand-new shaving tools are just dropped right in time for Father's Day. So do that father a favor, and even if somebody's about to be a father, just go ahead and get it out of the way. Go to manscaped.com, put in promo code JED, that's J-E-D, and you get 20% off with free shipping. That's 20% off with free shipping. Manscaped.com, use promo code JED. It's dad bod season, and it's time to get smooth. Do that dad a favor and go to manscaped.com and get some product. Reasons to use BTE tune-up services. Number one, quick turnaround time. You won't be out of commission for half the season while you're waiting on your parts. Number two, unparalleled customer service and responsive communication. Reason number three, all brands of parts are accepted. It's not like they just work on BTE parts. Number four, BTE offers freight shipping discounts. They are located in the shipping capital of the United States near Memphis, Tennessee. And number five, reason to use BTE tune-up services. Quality work from knowledgeable technicians helps your system achieve peak performance. If you know, then you know. Enrollment in This Is Bracket Racing Elite is now open. You've heard me discuss, or at least reference, This Is Bracket Racing Elite. It is the premier offering of our website, thisisbracketracing.com. Elite is a membership community designed specifically to help you get from where you are today as a racer to who you want to be as a racer. Led by knowledgeable professionals, Justin Lamb and myself are longtime instructors and we bring in a host of guests, racers that you know, racers that you respect, led by knowledgeable instructors and surrounded by supportive peers that are ultimately striving for the same goal in their own unique way. The truth is at each event, there are a hundred plus entries, there's one winner. At the end of each season, there's one champion. That feeling, not so much the money, not so much the trophy, that feeling of achievement, that sense of accomplishment, that tip of the cap from your peers, that's why we do this. You can dream of that feeling all you want, or you can take action, take steps toward becoming that racer. If you're ready to take the first step, this is Bracket Racing Elite is for you. Enrollment is open now for a limited time. Learn more at thisisbracketracing.com slash elite before we close the doors again on December the 8th. <laughs> 